I'll invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 6 while I set up my uh, prop here. Go to Joshua chapter 6. This is the story of Jericho. And it was brought to my attention last week that um, there's two different kinds of Bibles in your pews. So all those page numbers that were wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> they're, the both, they're all NIV, but uh, different page numbers, different print. So, yeah, we'll just leave that right there. Joshua chapter 6. So, if you're going in your Bibles, it'd be uh, about six books in. All right, that'll be good. I remember the first time the power went out in Uganda, okay? And that was kind of a common thing to happen, but I remember the first time it happened. Uh, we were all together, and, and we were in our room, you know, and we had Grayson, and I was charging my computer and charging cell phones and all that stuff, and, you know, no power. So now we're not really, you feel like, oh, suddenly I'm not connected as I want to be to the outside world, you know? Uh, why wasn't I charging my computer earlier? But the power goes out. So um, we're talking, and it's like, what are we going to do? Uh, and we decided, well, maybe our favorite restaurant in Fort Portal has like a generator. Maybe they're on their own power. Let's go check it out. So we took a driver and, and he, he take, took us into uh, the Duchess. That was our favorite place to eat. And uh, we sat down and we, uh, they had power lo and behold, so we were able to have our dinner. And we were talking to our waiter and we said to him, uh, have you heard about the power? Like what's going on with this? And, and when, when will it be back on? And I didn't want to be like that annoying American guy, you know, like I can't live without power, right? Um, but, but I did want to know if there was anything going on and what, what, what he knew about it. And the waiter said to me, he's, I'm not sure what's going on with the power. I mean, it happens all the time, but I expect it to be on at about eh, 7 p.m. Oh, okay. You know, I don't know how that works. So, you know, I'm thinking, well, he's just trying to please this, you know, crazy American guy, you know, uh, and, and he's just being nice. So we're eating dinner and suddenly, uh, uh, the power comes back on because they had lights on that were off previously and their lights came on and I look at my watch, 7 o'clock, you know? <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what he knew or how he knew it, but he was able to predict the exact moment the power came back on. Uh, and apparently people, are, people just know this. I would love to think that I could just predict when God's power was going to do something amazing. You know, we're looking at Jericho today. I mean, the walls are going to fall. I would love to be able to predict when, when walls are going to fall down and, and when God's power is just going to explode onto the scene and say, if you do X, Y, and Z, this, this will release God's power like, like flipping the switch. But I don't, I don't think it works that way. But, but I do think there's enough direction in Scripture that we could be like the waiter. And even though we can't guarantee it, we know enough to say, it's there. It's coming. It's there. That there's enough information in the Bible about His power working for us that we can have some confidence. We can have some confidence. So look at Joshua chapter 6. And uh, if you have a bulletin, there should be notes in there for you as well to follow along with. Joshua chapter 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut up 
because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. Then Yahweh said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have the seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. Now, uh, first of all, let me answer the question, what's up with the number seven? As a lot of you know, seven is like God's number. It's the number of completeness. Uh, if you think about like the seven days of creation, the idea there is seven, e- even the number seven in Hebrew has this idea of full, okay? Seven days of creation. The, the idea there is that God finishes his work in seven days. Seven's like, it, it's done. It, it's going to happen. God's going to finish what he started. Do you see how this might impact Israel going to Jericho? Fullness. God promised us the land. He's going to give us the city. He's going to finish what he started. If he said he's giving us Jericho, seven seems to indicate he's going to get it done. Just like he got done with creation, seven days. He's going to get it done. Now, I want to really call your attention, though, to the fact that he says in verse 2, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. See, I've done it. You know, they got the doors closed. They're all scared. I've given it to you. Now, this is prior to the walls falling. It's prior to the display of power. So, I take it, and this is my main idea here. It's in your notes. That God's power has already secured the victory. God's power has already secured every victory that you're going to see. It's done. It's secured. How is that possible? How is that possible? In your notes, uh, you have two verses I've given you. uh, One in 1 Corinthians one eighteen. It says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, So at the cross, there's this, there's this power struggle between Christ and between the forces of death, darkness, sin, Satan, all arrayed against Christ. And on the cross, Christ wins, okay? It's a battle. It's a power struggle. But we know Christ wins. Light overcomes darkness. God's life overcomes death. So Christ is raised from the dead. The message of the cross, then, is the power of of God. All the power that you need in this life has been accomplished on the cross. Your biggest problem in this life has been dealt with on the cross. It's done. I once heard, um, I once had a guest professor at one of my classes, seminary classes, and this was, I'm not going to give his name because I'm going to say something negative about him. Um, okay. Uh, he, a brilliant guy. I've read a couple of his books. And his books make me think like, like crazy. I mean, they're just wonderfully deep. But I remember him getting up in class, and someone asked him about the atonement of Christ. And he made a comment that I will never forget. It got burned into my, my mind. 
and I disagreed so strongly with it. He said, It is unclear to me how God could transfer all sins, past, present, and future, onto His Son. It's unclear to me how God could do that. And he wasn't saying, like, why God would do that, but, but how is it possible that you can actually take this sin and set it over here on Jesus? And it's like, you know, I, I mean, I'm not being disrespectful, but it's like you want to raise your hand and say, it's his power to do that. He can do that. He can do anything. And so he can take the sins that you're going to commit tomorrow and, and lay them 2,000 years ago on his son. It's his power. The cross is the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God. When you announce the cross to people, you can anticipate power. You can anticipate it. It's the power of God. So that leads Peter to write about it. In 1 Peter 1.3, you have this in your notes too. His divine power <clears throat> excuse me, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. His power has given us everything we need. There's no except for this, except for that. It's the words everything. And everything means everything. Everything that you need to live this life, He's given you. So, I think, if I unplug this cord, am I going to do something really bad here? Can I unplug this? Someone that knows sound? Can I do this? Okay, good deal, good deal. Thank you. All right. Um, so, you know, a lot of messages, I think, would try to focus on, how do I, what, what's my three easy steps to power? Give, give me some power. But, but I think, if you read the New Testament, and I looked up, I tried to look up almost every verse on power I could find, it seems like it's saying, you, you have you have the power. Like, if you're in Christ, you're plugged in. You're in. There's no unplugging you from Jesus. You're plugged in. Now, that makes, us, that makes me think, well, then when we talk about God's power, what are we talking about? Are we talking about miracles? Because I would see that kind of like a power surge. Is that a helpful analogy? Sometimes we have this power surge and, and, and God's power does something remarkable and amazing. And we see it and go, I can't believe that happened. But God stepped in and just... Or, or we pray something and we see an answer. And we say, I prayed it. God did it. And His power just hit and did something. So I think there's two ways of talking about His power. One way is that, that we're always plugged into it. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Do you need power to live godly today? You do. Do you need, you need power to live a godly way tomorrow? You do. You need it 24-7. And, and Peter's saying it's always there. It's always on. There's never a power sur- you know, shortage. But sometimes, sometimes we see these power surges. And God's power like lightning strikes. And, and, and then we go, we just hit our knees and go, wow. What was that? <laughs> and hopefully you say, it's God. It's God. Would you go to Ephesians chapter 1 real quick with me?
want you to see one more thing before we look back at Jericho. Ephesians chapter 1. I think this passage I've meditated on more than any other this week, like trying to figure out what it means and what it's saying. Ephesians 1, I give you a page number, but it'd be all wrong, <laughs> okay? <laughs> it might be close, though, yeah. I'm on page 827, personally, but... Ephesians 1.18. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. This is what the apostle prays for. This would probably be a good thing for us to pray for. Ephesians 1.18. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I pray that you would know that. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. He says, I'm praying that you would know. And, and the know is not like knowledge like, uh, I went to class and now I know how to do algebra. It's not that kind of know. The word gnosko denotes um, experiential knowledge. It's an experience. It's like, it's like uh, if I show you a jar of honey, I can tell you that it's sweet. But if you dip your finger in and put it in your mouth, now you know. Now you know because you've experienced it. Th- that's the kind of knowing that he's talking about there. I want you to know Jesus' power. And then he says, he says I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's verse 18. It's like Paul saying, I just want you to see what's already there. You see that? I want you to be enlightened. I want you to see what you already have. God's power secured victory. The power is already there. The power to fight temptation in your life is there. The power to do what God has called you to do is there. I mean, how many of you have ever thought to yourself, I'd love to be used in a huge way by God. And I have these ideas of things I could do for God. But how could I ever do it? Like, often our dreams are so much bigger than what we think we can actually do. Unless there's power there to help you do it. Okay, back to Joshua. So, I want to spend the rest of my time then, um, the rest of my time talking about how do we get in the right place personally where we see his power? Because next week, I'm talking about spiritual failure. <laughs> and, when, and when we have spiritual failure in our life, you may not see as much of God's power as you'd like. And that was the story with Achan. That's the story with Israel. That's next week. How can I be in a position to see God's power, experience it, trust it more? How do you get there? And I think the story of Jericho is how you get there. Okay? If you're looking back in Joshua, chapter 6, verse 2, once again, Yahweh says to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. And then he tells them, I want the priests to carry the, the, um, the trumpets in verse 4. Verse 3 is march around the city, do this for six days. And then, you know, on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. The priests blow the trumpets. When you, and then verse 5 says, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. 
then the wall of the city will collapse, the people will go up, every man straight in. Okay? Here's the question. It's a simple one. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you don't fight for victory, you fight from victory? You see that? You don't fight in order to get victory, you fight because God has already been victorious on the cross. Your power has been purchased for you. Because let's face it, God doesn't give power, His power, to sinners. He doesn't give His power to people that aren't in a good relationship with Him. And so if you know Jesus and you know the cross, His power is for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that every challenge that you face, there's power there for it? That's number one. It's a faith question. Do you believe God's power is there? Now, I realize, I realize that um, when, you, when you fight battles, when you face challenges, sometimes you fail. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes I have great ideas, and I think God's going to do something, and then I step out, and it, it doesn't pan out the way I wanted it to pan out. I think every pastor has stories like that. <laughs> and I'm sure you do too, where you thought you were supposed to do this, you stepped out, and then it didn't, it didn't work out. I'm not, I don't think that's a failure in power, but it, it's us saying, I want God to come through for me in a certain area, and, and sometimes we do things and it, and it doesn't work out, and, and it's like God is saying, that wasn't part of my will. That wasn't my plan. I've given you everything you need to live for me, Sometimes I'm not in certain things that you're doing. That's okay. It's okay. But, but to step out, when you do step out, step out in faith, knowing that God's power's there, and if things don't pan out the way you want them to, His power's still there. He's going to do something with what you're doing. I mean, even if you just learn from the lesson of it. I've had enough of those. <laughs> didn't work out. I learned from it, though. Do you believe, truly believe, that... Sins that are addictive, and we know what we know. Don't you know what I'm talking about? There, sins that are very addictive can be overcome with God's power. Do you believe that? Do you believe God's power might cause you, the the, the person with the addiction, to get into a relationship with another believer to help you through that? The part of God's power is going to be manifest through that other person that wants to help you. I mean, I'm not saying it's just like you wake up on Monday morning and go, I believe, and then boom, it hits you, and suddenly... I mean, that's some people's stories. They just get free like that. It's a power surge, right? Boom, I'm free. But do you believe that God's power is truly there? Um, I love Romans 16.20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Soon. And we rightly say Satan was defeated on the cross, right? He was defeated. But he's still out there. You've got to live with this tension of already not yet. You know, Satan's been defeated, but he's still doing his thing until Christ returns. But he is a defeated enemy. Do you believe that? Okay, so, so then the first question is one of faith. Do we have faith that this is what God has done? And that God's power is available through us through the cross. Secondly, I'll look at verses 6 through 16. Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh. Have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people advance, 
march around the city with armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Then Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before Yahweh went forward blowing the trumpets and the ark of Yahweh's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua commanded the people, don't give a war cry, do not raise your voices, don't say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout! So he had the ark of Yahweh carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priests took up the ark of Yahweh. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord Yahweh and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of Yahweh while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for Yahweh has given you the city. Now, don't you think that's a lot of detail to say one simple thing? They did what God told them to do, right? I mean, all of that stuff, all that to say they walked around once, they didn't make a noise. And then the seventh day, they walked around seven times and then they yelled. <laughs> and, and, and the writer wants to get one little thing across. They obeyed precisely. They obeyed carefully, which is number two. Do you think that God is going to display his power in a believer that is willfully rebelling against him? Like, I'm not submitting to you in this area, God. I'm doing my own thing here. Where's your power? Well, you know the scripture? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. I mean, he, he, he says, be holy as I'm holy. And so the Israelites are following precisely. They're obeying God carefully. If you wish to see power, you, you obey God. And now you say, well, I want to obey God. That's the problem. I need the power to obey. And that's there too. Repentance is part of the power, right? You repent and say, God, I can't do this. I need you to help me. And there's power there. But the person that says, I'm not really interested in repenting, I'm not really interested in examining my life to see where my sins are, that person's not going to see as much power in their life. Make it a habit. When you, when you get up and you read your Bible, or maybe you do it in the evening, maybe you do it at your lunch break, ask yourself what sins God wants you to be turning from. Ask Him to search your heart. Find those areas. When you obey God carefully, you see power. When you submit the areas, you say, God, I just can't believe I, I told that lie. I, I even hate calling it a lie. I felt like I was just trying to twist the truth a little bit to make myself look better. You know? You ever do that? <laughs> but, but you call it a lie. And so I repent of that. And there's power there. There's power. Some of us are really good at not doing the big sins, the ones we think have big consequences, but, but the little ones are just killing us because we don't even care enough to repent of them. Man, if we're a people, though, that follow God carefully and care about holiness... See, in this country, I, I think what I see a lot of, at least in the church and, and in a society, and, and definitely, is if my sin doesn't hurt you, then it's not really that big of a deal, right? That, that's kind of a common way we look at evil. Evil is when I commit something 
some sort of atrocious act against you. That's evil. And, and we all know those atrocious acts. You know, it's the serial killings. It's the rapes. It's the, I've done something horrific to you. And we say, that's evil. It, it, it's the people walking into schools with guns. But God defines evil as any of these commands that we break. Sin is sin. And yes, they have different consequences. Yes, we've got to lock up the people that are doing these things. Yes, there's harsher consequences for some sins. But are you willing to define evil as that little piece of gossip you shared yesterday, that negative thing you said about that person? Would you define that as evil? What, what's evil to you? Is it the way God defines evil? Seek those things out and see God's power. Thirdly, thirdly, oh, another verse on uh, obeying God that I just wanted to share really quick. Um, you know the passage in James, uh, it talks about James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I mean, when your heart is repenting, when you are in a righteous place with God, your prayers are going to be effective. You know, that's the promise there. All right, I'm going to move on from there. Lastly, finally, um, look at what happens at the end of Jericho. Here we are, verse 17. The city and all of it, all that are in it are to be just devoted to Yahweh. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to Yahweh and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so that every man charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to Yahweh and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys." I want to talk the last maybe two minutes on that last question of destroy everything. But the point I want to make here, though, is devote everything to God. God says, I want everything in that city devoted to me. All the gold, all the silver, everything, it's, it's mine. It's mine. When God does an amazing act of power in your life, Do you glorify him as you should? That's number three. Will God keep doing amazing things in your life if you take the credit for it? Isn't that the story of many professional athletes? Not that I'm saying that with a big smile on my face at all. But the sad reality is you're in your prime physically. You accomplish these great feats and and your own pride is so strong there. You've done all of these things and then your prime time is gone. What do you have left? You've taken all the glory for yourself. What do you have left? Emptiness. You have emptiness. And the power is not there anymore. Let's not be like that. Let's tell stories about what God has done. When God does something amazing for you, why don't you go tell as many people as you can? I I know how it works in, in northern Wisconsin. I mean, I've eaten at the little cafes for breakfast. I know how the guys get together, right? And they tell their stories. Amen? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> That's not amen. But, you know, <laughs> how about that? You know, you go to your breakfast thing in the morning with the guys. I caught this huge fish. Really? 
It was God's power. Okay, that's really hokey. Don't do that. But um, yeah, you want to fish with this fisherman, let me tell you. This is a God-fearing fisherman, right? Okay. Um, but no, no. In, 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 a, in a non-hokey way, you, you go out with your friends and you say, let me tell you what God has done in my life. Let me tell you what he did last week. Let me tell you what he did yesterday. Let me tell you how he answered this prayer. And it's going to drive some people crazy because it's like you're always talking about what God's doing, you know. But at the end of the day, those people are going to hear that there's a living God who's working, who's powerfully active in your life. And you know what? I'm not God, but I think I can probably say with, with, with some assurance that when God sees someone glorifying him for the power that he gives, he's going to give more. That's kind of like the parable of the talents, right? I, I've given you ten, you multiplied it, I'm going to entrust you with more. You take what I've given you and you're faithful, I'm going to give you more. God works like that. So let's glorify him for the things that he does. Let's be as humble as possible. Remember that verse in Peter? Submit yourself under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up in due time. Submit. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. He'll lift you up. He'll continue to lift you up. All right. I hope that as you leave this morning that you get the impression that what I'm trying to say is uh, God's power for you is always there. Sometimes we just don't see it. Enlighten our eyes, God. It's there. Sometimes we see power surges. I want to be in the right place to see Jericho walls fall over. I want to see power surges. That's what I want. It's up to God when he does it. I wish I could just flip the switch on and off, you know, like, I want you to be saved. You know, boom, right? <laughs> uh, doesn't, doesn't quite work like that. But through prayer, it often does, according to God's will. Okay, let me take two minutes, now that I'm over time, so sorry. Two minutes just to, just to share this last part. I want to deal just with the, with the reality of Jericho and, and killing everybody. Um, this is on the back of your notes. I'll go as quickly as I can. Why completely destroy the Canaanites? If you're not a believer and you're listening to this, you're going, they just, they just wiped out everybody, every living thing, done. Why do that? Number one, um, to explain why God does what he does here, number one is punishment. Punishment. Genesis 15, 16 says, I'm withholding my punishment from the Amorites until their sins reach the full measure. These are sinful people. These are wicked, godless people. And God says, I'm not going to do anything until their sins reach a certain level. Secondly, the sexual sins of the Canaanites brought defilement to the land. That's Leviticus chapter 18. He, if you read Leviticus 18, just don't do it with your kids because it just lists the sins that these people were doing. And they're shocking, they're huge, they're perverse and God says they've defiled the land and the land's going to vomit them out. It's like even the land can't stand the things that the people are doing on it. You think the dirt is dirty? These people were dirty. The land's going to vomit you out. Number three, uh, there. I mean the, the third part there. Remember that God used the Babylonians to punish Israel as well? God, throughout history, has used other nations to judge nations. That's one of the things he does in history. 
you don't like that, you take that up with God, but that's what he does. That's what he does. Even to his own people, Israel. Secondly, um, why did God completely destroy the Canaanites? Preservation. Preservation is our second P word there. They were still learning who Yahweh was. Hosea chapter 11 says, Israel was in their youth when he called them out of Egypt. They're a young nation, and they're getting to know this amazing God, and he was trying to spare them. The second point there, they would lose their ethnic and religious identity and become like Canaanites. That's the danger for this young group of people. They're going to become just like the people in the land, and that, that would condemn them to the same fate. It would condemn them. Let's preserve the purity of Israel. Thirdly, other factors I'd love you to consider before we go. There were a different set of rules for fighting cities and other lands. Deuteronomy chapter 20, it's like, 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 here's your rules of warfare. In the promised land, you fight like this. You destroy everything. Outside of the promised land, you let people surrender if you're in battle with them. And if they surrender, you don't wipe them out. Okay? Different rules is what we're talking about here. The promised land was under God's judgment. Those people were done, according to the Lord. Uh, Another point there is, the Canaanites knew about Yahweh and did not repent. You get this feeling that the people in Jericho are so scared. And they are. And only Rahab and her family repents. They're the only ones spared. The rest of the city is defiant. We're scared, but we're we're not giving up. We're not repenting. We're staying in our ways. Other factor to consider, because you'll see a lot of um, church haters say this kind of thing. This is not jihad, okay? This is not holy war. Because these divine commands are limited by time and space. Does that make sense? God gave the command for that time period. It's not an eternal moral command of God. God doesn't say... Church, I want you to conquer by wiping out the unbelievers, get rid of the pagans. That's not his command for us. We wage war with love. We have different weapons that are completely full of compassion, okay? Totally different. This was for this time and this place. You can't return to this. This is not jihad. Hopefully that settles your heart a little bit in thinking about the difficulty of Jericho. But I pray that as you leave this morning, you get the the strong impression that God is powerful and His power is already there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, would you enlighten our eyes to see your power? Help us. Help us see it. Help us experience it. Help us live it. I know every person here can think of one area of their life they'd love to see your power in. And I pray that if it's according to your will, that they would see your power in that area. If it glorifies you, if it involves new life, if it involves doing your work, I pray they'd see it. If it involves resisting sin, I pray they'd see it. And God, please still continue to give us power surges where where you just show up in in amazing ways and, and heal the sick, protect us from harm, do amazing things amongst us. 
for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.